Hello, everybody, and welcome into episode number 143 of the Bible Reading Podcast. Today's big Bible question, why did God have angels put in chains and cast into darkness? We're also going to do a brief tribute to Ravi Zacharias, who died today, and we're going to read a wonderful article from him called Light of the Gospel. So, hello everybody and welcome into Wednesday. I honestly can't believe it's already Wednesday. Even though it's counterintuitive, time really seems to be flying in these pandemic times, doesn't it? Today, the people of God lost a great man in Ravi Zacharias. Uh, a great writer, uh, a great and gentle debater, a great evangelist and proclaimer of the Word of God. In honor of his passing and in memory of his great impact, I'd like to read a passage today from Brother Ravi, but we also have an interesting Bible question to briefly touch on and some Bible chapters to read through, so the days are just packed. Let's get started. Today's Bible readings include Numbers chapter 29, Psalm chapter 73, Isaiah 21, and 2 Peter 2. Our focus question is from 2 Peter 2 and is focused on one of the more mysterious passages in the entire Bible. So let's go read the chapter and see if you can spot the strange passage. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. There were indeed false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them, and will bring swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved ways, and the way of truth will be maligned because of them. They will exploit you in their greed with made-up stories. Their condemnation, pronounced long ago, is not idle, and their destruction does not sleep. For if God didn't spare the angels who sinned, but cast them into hell and delivered them in chains of utter darkness to be kept for judgment, and if he didn't spare the ancient world, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others when he brought the flood on the world of the ungodly, and if he reduced the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes and condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is coming to the ungodly, and if he rescued Lot, distressed by the depraved behavior of the immoral, for as that righteous man lived among them day by day, his righteous soul was tormented by the lawless deeds he saw and heard, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment, especially those who follow the polluting desires of the flesh and despise authority. Bold, arrogant people. They are not afraid to slander the glorious ones. However, angels who are greater in might and power do not bring a slanderous charge against them before the Lord. But these people... Like irrational animals, creatures of instinct born to be caught and destroyed, slander what they do not understand, and in their destruction they too will be destroyed. They will be paid back with harm for the harm they have done. They consider it a pleasure to carouse in broad daylight. They are spots and blemishes delighting in the de their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery that never stop looking for sin. They seduce unstable people and have hearts trained in greed. Children under a curse, they've gone astray by abandoning the straight path and followed the path of Balaam, the son of Bozor, who loved the wages of wickedness but received a rebuke for his lawlessness. A speechless donkey spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These people are springs without water, mists driven by a storm. The gloom of darkness has been reserved for them, for by uttering boastful, empty words they seduce 
with fleshly desires and debauchery, people who have barely escaped from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption, since people are enslaved to whatever defeats them. For if, having escaped the world's impurity through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in these things and defeated, the last state is worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than, after knowing it, to turn back from the holy command delivered to them. It has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit, and a washed sow returns to wallowing in the mud. So, that's a fascinating passage, right? One Bible question we're not going to cover today, because honestly, I have no clue what the answer is, concerns Lot. Now, Lot doesn't come off as a great guy, to say the least, in the Old Testament, but Peter here speaks of his righteous soul being tortured by living among the wicked people of Sodom and Gomorrah. I find that a pretty interesting characterization, and it's probably question 7,411 that I plan on asking once we arrive by grace into eternity. Now, the question that we hope to shine some light on today concerns the angels who sinned and were cast into Tartarus in chains of utter darkness to be kept for judgment. Now, I know the Christian Standard Bible there says hell, but the Greek word there is Tartarus, and there is some debate as to whether Tartarus is hell or not. Uh, There's also some other words for hell used, Gehenna being one of them. One of these days we'll do a podcast about that, but I'm just going to stick with the Greek word for now. Uh, so what's going on with this passage? What is the deal? What incarnation, as my grandfather would say, is this all about? Well, if you're interested in such questions about angels and mysteries and all of that kind of stuff, have I got a deal for you? Last year, I wrote a very provocatively titled book called Angels, Ghosts, and Other Bible Mysteries. I wasn't really targeting Christians with this book, but, you know, the kind of people that are interested in the paranormal. So the book is loaded with Bible teaching, and there's a lot of gospel in it, but it also has some discussions of interesting supernatural things that are mentioned all throughout the Bible, like this question. Now, if you buy this book today, it will immediately rocket up to Amongst the top 500,000 best-selling books on Amazon, and once it breaks into the top 500,000 best-selling books, you know Oprah is probably going to beat a path to my door to make it part of her book club. And why wouldn't she do that with some of the amazing reviews the book has, like one of the recent ones which says, Okay, book, didn't agree with some of it. I mean, wow, I can hear you inspired getting your credit card out right now to buy that book. That's a three-star review. Okay, book. Didn't agree with some of it. I mean, gosh, might as well win the Nobel Prize, right? Well, there's some other reviews that are better than that one, but that is one that was pretty funny. Uh, Back to our question. I'm just rambling on and on about my books, hoping one day to be a millionaire, but sufficing uh, existing so far as being a uh, hundredaire on books. Uh, it's not easy to be an author, by the way. Not a not an easy field to break into. I'm kidding, of course. I don't really b- write for money. I do write for edification. And if uh, if you're lucky, you'll catch that book for free because I offer it up for free every now and then. Um, just 
because my goal is to reach people and not really make money on writing. Anyway, back to our question. What's up with this situation? Well, to help us answer what the deal is with these angels in prison, we should probably look very briefly at the what I think is a parallel passage in 1 Peter 3, which says this, verse 18, For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. He was to put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, in which he also went and made proclamation to the spirits in prison, who in the past were disobedient, when God patiently waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. In it a few, that is eight people, were saved through water. And there's also what I think is a parallel passage in Jude verse 6. There's no chapters in Jude, it's only the one. Uh, Jude verse 6 says, The angels who did not keep their own position, but abandoned their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains in deep darkness for the judgment on the great day. Now, not everybody agrees with these that these are parallel passages, but in my mind, it's fairly clear that they are. But what's going on here? What angels slash spirits sinned, and why were they cast into prison? Well, my answer is a little controversial, and not everyone agrees with it. But I believe 1 Peter 3 and 2 Peter 2 both contain pretty significant clues as to what's being referenced here in terms of angels and chains and deep darkness in prisons. They're both talking about the days of Noah. Now, the Jude reference doesn't mention the days of Noah, but he does mention the angels and the chains and the deep darkness, and that really corresponds very well with the Second Peter 2 passage. And I know the First Peter 3 passage doesn't mention angels, but actually it references, quote, spirits. But the setting of the days of Noah matches the Second Peter 2 passage, and the prison reference matches both of the other passages. It's hard for me to believe that these three passages are honestly just not very connected and parallel each other. Now, many good and solid Bible commentators believe that the spirits in prison reference in 1 Peter 3 is actually referring to humans alive during the days of Noah, and their view is that Jesus preached to them through Noah. Like, it wasn't Jesus actually standing there preaching to them, but it was the spirit of Jesus inspiring Noah and sort of uh, spiritually, metaphorically preaching through Noah. But honestly, I find this very difficult difficult to believe as it goes against the plain sense of the text of 1 Peter 3. Is there any other place in Scripture where living humans are referred to as spirits in this sense? I don't think there is, but you please correct me if I'm wrong because I could be missing something. Does make it, it makes no sense for, to me for First Peter three to be referring to human beings as quote spirits in prison. So if that understanding is correct, and of course I'll admit it's debatable, what crime caused these angels and spirits to be sentenced to prison in darkness and chains? Well, let's go all the way back to the days of Noah for my proposed answer. Stop me if you've heard this before. Long-time listeners of the podcast probably have. Genesis chapter 6, 1 through 4. When mankind began to multiply on the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of mankind were beautiful, and they took any they chose as wives for themselves. And the Lord said, 
My spirit will not remain with mankind forever because they are corrupt. Their days will be a hundred and twenty years. The Nephilim were all on the earth both in those days and afterward when the sons of God came to the daughters of mankind who bore children to them. They were the powerful men of old, the famous men. Now, I believe that is the act that caused angels to be put into prison, and I believe this because it seems pretty clear that Jude is addressing angels who, quote, did not keep their own position, but abandoned their proper dwelling. And Genesis 6, if you accept the theory that sons of God equals angels, and I've done two podcasts on that so far, uh, I don't remember what their numbers are, but they're linked today on the website, BibleReadingPodcast.com for episode 143. Go check it out in both of those episodes there are linked. If you buy the thesis that the sons of God equals angels, and the reason I buy that thesis is because every time the phrase sons of God is used in the Old Testament, it never refers to humans. It refers to spiritual beings. So if you believe sons of God are angels, Genesis 6 seems to be a very clear case of angels not keeping their own position. In other words, they're abandoning their heavenly position and going to an earthly position. It seems to be maybe what Jude is talking about. So I believe that the Bible is pointing us here to the possibility that some of the fallen angels or sons of God had relations with human women and very possibly they produced these Nephilim as offspring. And God was angered at this sinful abandoning of the angels' proper dwelling, and thus he had them imprisoned for such rebellion. This is certainly the view that the book of Enoch does, which was uh, an ancient book used by the early church, but is not canonical. Um, But honestly, you know what? What I just told you, it's my opinion. I think it's a fairly well-reasoned opinion, but it's not doctrine. I believe that this is what the Bible is teaching us here, but honestly, some of these connections aren't terribly clear and others believe differently. This is certainly not an issue to separate over, but perhaps an issue to engage in a friendly debate over a nice cup of coffee. Hopefully, our quarantine lifts soon and some of us can do just that, right? So now, let's, before we move into our other passages of Scripture, I want to read to you an excerpt from a book I have, The Logic of God, which I believe is a connect, a collection of some of Ravi Zacharias's uh, top um, writings from other places. And in this book, he has a short, uh, let's call it a devotional, called Light of the Gospel. And I want to read that to you sort of as, a, as an edifying thing, of course, but also as a tribute to the man the body of Christ lost today. So he begins by quoting Matthew five fourteen through 16. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And uh, Dr. Zacharias writes, India is the largest moving movie-producing nation in the world. And to grow up in India is to grow up in a culture where anything on the screen brings a crowd. And by the way, if you didn't know, Ravi Zacharias was born in India. Romance on the screen was, at the time I was growing up, very typical. Since kissing was not permitted, romantic encounters routinely consisted of a boy-meets-girl scenario 
that ended with starry-eyed expressions, each chasing the other around trees with melodramatic music playing. It is best described as grown-ups playing peekaboo in a jungle. Just as the long-awaited moments of embrace came, the scene would change and the audience would applaud. An Indian comedian who wrote a question-and-answer column in a national film magazine was once asked, what's the difference between love on the Western screen and love on the Indian screen? His answer was one word, quote, trees. Much has changed in the Indian movie world since, but I shall not chase that issue down. In the existential questions of our lives and in the struggles of our minds, the trees that separate the worlds of culture are numerous. Behind all of our superficial distinctives lie the weighty differences, those of values, religion, and worldview. In my work of offering a defense of the Christian faith, God has given me the privilege of speaking on every continent and in dozens of cities, often to those holding a radically different outlook on spiritual matters from my own. I know firsthand that religious issues can be discussed without compromise, yet also without animosity with gentleness and with respect. While specific beliefs may offend, it is possible to present them without being personally offensive. I once stayed in Southeast Asia where I met a wonderful Muslim man. He was the room attendant at my hotel. Every day when he came in to make up my room, he would also make me a cup of tea and we would talk. He even brought some old Indian movies for me to enjoy. On his day off, he took me sightseeing, and we visited many places of worship. I will never forget him. On one occasion, he invited my wife and me to a lovely dinner at his home. We became very good friends. He knew of my completely different belief to his and would ask me questions. I wish more people showed the kindness he did. And that is the point I wish to make. We can be worldviews apart without anger or offense. What I believe, I believe very seriously. Indeed, the foundation of my entire life's work is the conviction that Jesus Christ only is the way, the truth, and the life. Being myself persuaded of this, I am compelled to share that message with others. Yet far more than merely discussing tenets or dogma, I hope to live a life of gentleness and respect, undergirded with love for all people so that the light of the gospel can shine through our differences. In a world where the trees that separate us are large and discussions of ultimate truth often generate more heat than light, we must seek to come together to consider truth in the open. The barriers to belief may be many. The bridges to every heart ought never to be lost. Then and only then can genuine peace come made possible by the grace of God. God bless you, Mr. Zacharias. Thank you for being a blessing to us and thank you, God, for your servant, Ravi Zacharias. Numbers chapter 29, verse 1. On the first day of the seventh month, hold a sacred assembly and do no regular work. It is a day for you to sound trumpets. As an aroma pleasing to the Lord, offer a burnt offering of one young bull, one ram, and seven male lambs a year old, all without defect. With the bull, offer a grain offering of three-tenths of an ephah of the finest flour mixed with olive oil, with the ram two-tenths, and with each of the seven lambs one-tenth. Include one male goat as a sin offering to make atonement for you. These are in addition to the monthly and daily burnt offerings with their grain offerings and drink offerings as specified. They are food offerings presented to the Lord, a pleasing aroma. On the tenth day of this seventh month, hold a sacred assembly. 
You must deny yourselves and do no work. Present as an aroma pleasing to the Lord a burnt offering of one young bull, one ram, and seven male lambs a year old, all without defect. With the bull, offer a grain offering of three-tenths of an ephah of the finest flour mixed with oil. With the ram, two-tenths, and with each of the seven lambs, one-tenth. Include one male as a sin goat as a sin offering, in addition to the sin offering for atonement and the regular burnt offering with its grain offering and their drink offerings. On the fifteenth day of the seventh month, hold a sacred assembly and do no regular work. Celebrate a festival to the Lord for seven days. Present as an aroma pleasing to the Lord a food offering consisting of a burnt offering of thirteen young bulls, two rams, and fourteen male lambs a year old, all without defect. With each of the thirteen bulls, offer a grain offering of three-tenths of an ephah of the finest flour mixed with oil, with each of the two rams, two-tenths, and with each of the fourteen lambs, one-tenth. Include one male goat as a sin offering, in addition to the regular burnt offering with its grain offering and drink offering. On the second day, offer twelve young bulls, two rams, and fourteen male lambs a year old, all without defect. With the bulls, rams, and lambs, offer their grain offerings and drink offerings according to the number specified. Include one male goat as a sin offering, in addition to the regular burnt offering with its grain offering and the drink offerings. On the third day, offer eleven bulls, two rams, and fourteen male lambs a year old, all without defect. With the bulls, rams, and lambs, offer their grain offerings and drink offerings according to the number specified. Include one male goat as a sin offering, in addition to the regular burnt offering with its grain offering and drink offering. On the fourth day, Offer ten bulls, two rams, and fourteen male lambs a year old, all without defect. With the bulls, rams, and lambs, offer their grain offerings and drink offerings according to the number specified. Include one male goat as a sin offering in addition to the regular burnt offering with its grain offering and drink offering. On the fifth day, offer nine bulls, two rams, and fourteen male lambs a year old, all without defect. With the bulls, rams, and lambs, offer their grain offerings and drink offerings according to the number specified. Include one male goat as a sin offering in addition to the regular burnt offering with its grain offering and drink offering. On the sixth day, offer eight bulls, two rams, and fourteen male lambs a year old, all without defect. With the bulls, rams, and lambs, offer their grain offering and bring drink offerings according to the number specified. Include one male goat as a sin offering in addition to the regular burnt offering with its grain offering and drink offering. On the seventh day, offer seven bulls, two rams, and fourteen male lambs a year old, all without defect. With the bulls, rams, and lambs, offer their grain offerings and drink offerings according to the number specified. Include one male goat as a sin offering in addition to the regular burnt offering with its grain offering and drink offering. On the eighth day, hold a closing special assembly and do no regular work. Present as an aroma pleasing to the Lord a food offering consisting of a burnt offering of one bull, one ram, and seven male lambs a year old, all without defect. With the bull, the ram, and the lambs, offer their grain offerings and drink offerings according to the number specified. Include one male goat as a sin offering, in addition to the regular burnt offering with its grain offering and drink offering. In addition to what you vow in your free will offerings, offer these to the Lord at your appointed festivals, your burnt offerings, grain offerings, drink offerings, and fellowship offerings. Moses told the Israelites all that the Lord commanded him. Psalm 73. God is indeed good to Israel, to the pure in heart. But as for me, my feet almost slipped. My steps nearly went astray, for I envied the arrogant. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have an easy time until they die, and their bodies are well fed. They are not in trouble like others. They are not afflicted like most people. Therefore, pride is their necklace, and violence covers them like a garment. 
Their eyes bulge out from fatness. The imaginations of their hearts run wild. They mock and they speak maliciously. They arrogantly threaten oppression. They set their mouths against heaven and their tongues strut across the earth. Therefore his people turn to them and drink in their overflowing words. The wicked say, How can God know? Does the Most High know everything? Look at them, the wicked. They are always at ease and they increase their wealth. Did I purify my heart and wash my hands in innocence for nothing? For I am afflicted all day long and punished every morning. If I had decided to say these things aloud, I would have betrayed your people. When I tried to understand all this, it seemed hopeless until I entered God's sanctuary. Then I understood their destiny. Indeed, you put them in slippery places. You make them fall into ruin. How suddenly they become a desolation. They come to an end, swept away by terrors. Like one waking from a dream, Lord, when arising, you will despise their image. When I became embittered and my innermost being was wounded, I was stupid and didn't understand. I was an unthinking animal towards you, yet I am always with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me up in glory. Who do I have in heaven but you? And I desire nothing on earth but you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart, my portion forever. Those far from you will certainly perish. You destroy all who were unfaithful to you. But as for me, God's presence is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge, so I can tell about all you do. Isaiah chapter 21 verse 1. A pronouncement concerning the desert by the sea. Like storms that pass over the Negev, it comes from the desert, from the land of terror. A troubling vision is declared to me. The treacherous one acts treacherously, and the destroyer destroys. Advance, Elam, lay siege, you Medes. I will put an end to all the groaning. Therefore I am filled with anguish. Pain grips me me like the pain of a woman in labor. I am too perplexed to hear, too dismayed to see. My heart staggers. Horror terrifies me. He has burned my last glimmer, turned my last glimmer of hope into sheer terror. Prepare a table and spread out a carpet. Eat and drink. Rise up, you princes, and oil the shields. For the Lord has said to me, Go post a lookout. Let him report what he sees. When he sees riders, pairs of horsemen, riders on donkeys, riders on camels, he must pay close attention. Then the lookout reported, Lord, I stand on the watchtower all day, and I stay at my post all night. Look, riders come, horsemen in pairs. And he answered, saying, Babylon has fallen, has fallen. All the images of her gods have been shattered on the ground. My people who have been crushed on the threshing floor, I have declared to you what I have heard from the Lord of armies, the God of Israel. A pronouncement concerning Dumas. One calls to me from Seir. Watchman, what is left of the night? Watchman, what is left of the night? The watchman said, morning has come and also night. If you want to ask, ask. Come back again. A pronouncement concerning Arabia. In the desert brush you will camp for the night, you caravans of Dedanites. Bring water for the thirsty. The inhabitants of the land of Tema meet the refugees with food, for they have fled from swords, from the drawn sword, from the bow that is strung, and from the stress of battle. For the Lord said this to me, Within one year, as a hired worker counts years, all the glory of Kedar will be gone. The remaining Kedarite archers will be few in number, for the Lord... The God of Israel has spoken. Yes, he has. The Lord indeed, the God of Israel has spoken. May we take heed of his word. May the Lord bless you, friends, and keep you. Good day and Godspeed.